What the hell's the name of this thing? The Ballsy Podcast. Hosted by the award-winning Evan Grant. Before I come across the table and rip Barry's throat out. Kevin Sherrington. I'm going to say to you what you said to me a while ago. Shut up. Barry Horn. I'm going to bring milk and cookies next week. Get ready for the most listened to sports podcast in Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm Evan Grant, and this is Ballsy. I'm Kevin Sherrington, and in this episode, we'll be talking about the Rangers. And I'm Barry Horn. To hear our other exciting additions, simply subscribe to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. You know we're on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search Ballsy Podcast. That's Ballsy with a Z. So sit back, relax, that's relax with an X, and enjoy another edition of the Rangers Ballsy with a Z Podcast. I'm Evan Grant, along with Kevin Sherrington and Barry Horn. Uh, we are joined this morning on the Rangers and World Series edition of the Ballsy Podcast from his uh, palatial home in uh, the outskirts of Atlanta, Georgia, C.J. Nitkowski, Rangers broadcaster, um, Bon Vivant. What else are you? Uh, I'm pretty special. I think that's what my wife tells me every day. So <laughs> pretty special being in there. Can, my, can, can, uh, Evan, can I just ask, throw a question in before? We say, have you ever been told you sound like Mark Followell? Uh, yeah, about 100 times this year via Twitter. I've had a lot of people uh, tell me that. And we actually I did a spot on the ticket where Mark came on. Um, it was a little surprise at the very end of the season, the last spot that I did with him during the regular season. Now, you hear your voice differently than other people hear it. So I don't hear it. I don't get it. Um, but other people have told me that. Yeah, multiple times. I heard that a lot uh, during the regular season this year. I don't get it either, CJ. But Thank but you. That's, yeah. that's okay. I'm okay with it. We just yeah. have finely tuned ears. That's the thing. Must be it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, CJ, uh, w- as we broadcast, as we record this, um, hours before game six, uh, what's your take on this World Series in terms of, uh, I don't know if, I'd, if if quality of play is the word I'd use, but drama is definitely the word that I would use. Yeah, it's been great. I mean, it has been exciting. It's been back and forth. It's been you know, two teams were even going into it. I don't think there was a heavy favorite. I was in the camp where a lot of other people, I wanted to see the Yankees. I thought that would have been a better matchup in the World Series. I don't think he would have done any better than this as far as the entertainment of the games. You know, being on the East Coast is not the most fun with some of these games ending at, you know, 1.30 in the morning, but we fight through it and we take it because it's been, it's been worth it. I think, you know, the, the overriding theme has been kind of, you know, it's the analytical World Series with, you know, two organizations that are heavy, uh, with their analytics and the way that they apply them to what happens on the field and even for in-game decisions. So that's been kind of fun to, to watch that develop over the course of this World Series. But it's been great. I mean, the at-bats that we have seen, some just tremendous at-bats against great pitching, a uh, deep lineup in Houston and what they have done to the Dodgers to watch the Dodger bullpen kind of fall apart after all we were doing was talking about how great they were uh, during the regular season and even, even leading up to the World Series, the streak that they were on. It's been fascinating. There are so many good storylines uh, in this World Series, and there really hasn't been a game that you're like, ah, okay, I guess I can turn this off. It's nothing to watch anymore. They've all been great. Let me ask you this about, uh, and this is certainly nothing new, but the but the hair trigger uh, managers in the World Series, um, particularly on Dave uh, Roberts' side, when taking Rich Hill out after four innings and 60 pitches and seven strikeouts, um, What's your thought on that kind of uh, managing in, in the World Series? Yeah, I didn't love it. I mean, I get the idea of trying to be 
a batter too early than a batter too late. I think that's absolutely the way that you have to manage, but not in Game 2 of the World Series when you're already up uh, 1-0. I mean, that one really may come back to bite them. I know David said after the fact that he does not regret it, would do it again. Um, but the reality is it probably hurt their bullpen, and now here they are kind of on fumes as they go to Game 7, uh, excuse me, Game 6, with the bullpen uh, really struggling and guys getting stretched out and used more than they probably wanted to use them. You know, their big thing, and I get it, is third time around the order, right? That's the conversation when you start looking at some of these pitchers and saying, you know, a third time around the order, we don't like it. Our numbers tell us, our analytics tell us that you're just setting yourself up for failure, you know, with anybody but your aces. And I get that, and I think it's a fair argument. It's certainly something worth considering. There are some really good pitchers in our league that struggle third time around the order. Chris Archer is a really good example of a guy with dominant stuff, and those are his swings and misses, who's really terrible third time through the order. It makes sense to try to get him out of the game a little bit earlier in a big spot. The issue I had with it, at least things that I look at, Rich Hill had the lowest batting average against in Major League Baseball this year, third time through the order, as long as you, for guys that have faced at least 100 of those guys. He was tied with Max Scherzer. He had the lowest OPS of any pitcher in baseball who's faced at least 100 hitters this year, third time through the order. So I'm sure they look at other things than just the numbers that we have access to, but it didn't make a ton of sense. And he was steadfast on it. Like, it wasn't like he was on the fence and kind of thinking about it. And there's no doubt in my mind that's a that's a conversation that comes from the front office that you know, he believes that uh, you know he has to make that decision. Now, in their defense, on the flip side of that, with Alex Bregman coming up second in that inning, it's not a great matchup. He's crushed lefties. He had two home runs off of Chris Sale this postseason, one off of Clayton Kershaw. I get that part of it. That's not a desirable matchup in that spot. But to be absolutely married to the idea that your starting pitcher can't face you at a third time around, I think it was a mistake, even though they don't want to admit it. Let me ask you this uh, to follow up on that. Um, how do how do players, pitchers in particular, uh, you think, react to that kind of thing? I mean, you know, we, we're always told in athletics, you know, when you get to a certain point, don't do something that you don't normally do, you know, and, and yet you get into the postseason here in baseball now, and they do everything completely different from the way they've been doing it all year long. And I'm just wondering what message that's sending to the to the players involved, how they receive that, and how they react going forward. Well, Rich Hill was pretty uh, clear about how he felt about it. He was yeah. not happy, at least as far as his body language went. Now, he said all the right things. And, of course, you know, as a professional, you should say all the right things. But he clearly wasn't happy. Now, at the same time, you go to where their bullpen was at that moment. That bullpen at that moment was absolutely crushing. I think it was 28 scoreless innings or whatever they had. Uh, leading up to it, and so it, it seems like maybe that was an easier decision based on what's happened with the bullpen. Um, but again, probably one that's going to come back to bite them. We'll see. They could survive this and come back from it. It's certainly possible. Um, but you know, as far as the message too, I think that's absolutely a valid point. You're sitting there uh, now. You're down three to two. It's especially easy to look back and feel a little bit discouraged about what happened. I mean, that's your guy. At least your second guy, Kershaw, has been your ace. I know Darvish pitched well for them in the regular season and even you know prior to his Game 3 star. But Rich Hill's one of your guys. I mean, you gave him a lot of money. Obviously, you like him. You believe that he can be near the top of your rotation on a championship-caliber club. And, you know, it, it didn't work out. So I think it is a little bit deflating after that game because I think a lot of those guys sit there and go, man, what would have happened? Why didn't we let Rich Hill stay in there for at least another inning or two you know, with 60 pitches and those seven strikeouts that you mentioned? Um, it doesn't send a great message. I do think that the next generation – won't have a problem with it. And that's even some of the younger guys in the league now, I think, because they're going to be bred that way. So they're just going to be taught. They're almost going to expect it. They're going to look at six or seven innings as, as a huge accomplishment, uh, the way that they're treated. Justin Verlander, Rich Hill, Clayton Kershaw, no, they hate it. And Max Scherzer, he hates it. Uh, but this next generation is going to be okay with that. I think Ross Stripling is a really good example of that. When he had that no-hitter, whatever he went into the, you know, into the eighth inning, seventh inning, and they took him out, 
And he was like, yeah, I get it. I appreciate it. They're looking out for my arm. It's, the things will change the way that these guys think based on the way that they're brought through the minor league system. CJ, I, th- I think what we've seen in this World Series, what we saw at the end of the last World Series, you know, the bullpenning idea is I, I get I get the thought process here behind it. I, I, I understand that you're trying to leverage your, your best relievers, um, but do you see it as a as a feasible way to manage a team all the way through the postseason? I, I just think that at some point in time, your guys are going to run out of gas, and we saw that happen over the last couple of games last year. We're seeing that happen right now. And I, I go kind of back to what Kevin's statement was, was, you know, you manage a team all year, you don't ask guys to do – uh, more than they're more than you ask them to do during the the regular season, and I think that the, the playoffs may be a little bit different story. But we've we've not just changed that or bent that a little bit. We've completely broken that mold. Yeah, no, I think you know that this whole bullpenning idea. You know, Brian Kenny obviously has pushed it really hard and has forced this conversation on us. And as you man, I like and I'd say this, you know. Um, in the most loving way possible as he makes his push for book sales and continues to talk about it when it works out, when you have a starter that does terrible and the bullpen does a good job, he's like, see, see, see what I'm talking about? Here's the chapter. I talked about it in my book. Um, it doesn't work. It's not applicable over the course of a full season. It's not something you can do even over the course of a full uh, postseason. And we're seeing that kind of unfold before our eyes. What are both of these teams keeping their fingers crossed for tonight, that their starters get deep in the game? Why? Because their bullpens are an absolute mess, even right. though they're coming off an off day, right, where most guys should be rested and feeling good. How many people believe that the Dodgers can win this game if Rich Hill pitches four innings? Not many. How many believe the Astros can win this game if Justin Berlander only pitches four or five innings? Not many. And so the idea of that being a reality, to me, is something that we can start putting to rest. It was a nice theory. Uh, BK, and I like BK a lot. I've known him for a long time, but you know he, you know how he gets. He pushes things really, really hard. He knows how to get under people's skin uh, a little bit and make it a conversation. I mean, credit him for that, um, that he's made this an actual conversation, but it's not going to be an actual reality in the major leagues. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think for the Yankees to use the bullpen perspective in one game, uh, in the wild card game, I think that that is viable. I don't think you can then extend that uh, day in and day out over the course of a seven-game series. Yeah. If it's an elimination game, no starter is going to stay in there long enough to, to give up a, a, a lot of runs. You just can't let him do it. There's right. no way that you can allow any starter to do that. In an elimination game, you're going to get him out. Um, you're not going to do that in any other scenario. You just can't afford to do it. I mean, they took it so far where you had people saying, you know, I bet uh, – you know, I think you should start Chad Green in this game. Let him throw two innings. I remember a couple of years ago, one of the Fangraphs guys suggesting that Craig uh, Craig Kimbrell start a game for the Braves in the, in the wild card. Like, that, that is so. That's taking it so ridiculously far and stupid. Um, I mean, I get where they're going. Um, it's a group that is always looking for something new, never satisfied with where they are, and thinking that you know they have great ideas. There have been some good ones that have been birthed out of the you know analytical generation. Uh, there have been a lot of dumb ones, and for me, this is one of them. CJ, I want to ask you about a starting pitcher. Uh, I'd like you to grade him thus far in the postseason you darvish well the last one was bad obviously um and you know and certainly we have seen it over the course of his career in arlington his slider wasn't there i mean we saw a pretty bad game for him uh in game three where he just couldn't find it and we know of course he's had some struggles early on he's got those crazy numbers first batter of the game um that are not very good right that's something that's done over the course of his career but especially this year over 1200 over 1100 ops to the first batter 
of the game. So he is a guy that has to get settled in. And that last game, he just could not get settled in. He could not find his slider. All the conversation about the baseballs and how they're affecting sliders. There's been enough good players that I trust that have said something that there might be some validity to it. Um, you know, but overall, I think it's been a respectable um, postseason for you, Darvish. It was unfortunate that Game 3 went as bad as it did. I love the idea of them throwing him in that Game 3 because of how good he has been uh, in that ballpark in Houston. And it seemed like it would be a really good fit, but he just didn't have it. So that was a really bad start. There have been some rumblings about whether or not you'd actually want to use him in relief potentially tonight if, if you need to, if Rich Hill has to come out of the game early. I don't think i go there. Um, it'll be fascinating to see. I want to see it. I want to see him get Game 7 uh, and see what can happen, and maybe he can turn that um, postseason around a little bit. But I would say he's been uh, pretty good, not great. Uh, some up and down, some inconsistencies from him this postseason. So the, the narrative uh, for the past three weeks had been how the Dodgers had revamp Darvish's delivery and his pitch selection. Um, Arm angle and the slider. That was a yeah. big one they were talking about. You yeah. see that? Did you see any of that? It's really hard to see that with the naked eye. I mean, mm-hmm. you can see when a guy makes a dramatic difference mm-hmm. in his arm angle. Um, the slight one, if you're not sitting there and you don't have, you know, behind um, the catcher, behind home plate view, and you're not, you don't have the ability to slow it down, it's pretty tough to pick up. Um, in full speed. And, you know, it's not something, if I'm then, that I'm bragging about because he got under a ton of sliders the other night. And, and so if you're lowering his arm angle and all of a sudden they're flat and he can't throw it anywhere but up and into a righty, I'm not going around and telling the world that I lowered his arm angle because that obviously was an issue. And regardless, um, so, of, regardless of the other night, what you saw against yeah. the Cubs, what you've seen this postseason, is Darvish look like a different pitcher, whether it's selection or arm angle or release point, than what you saw with him with the Rangers this year? The only big difference on pitch election was kind of the elimination of the curveball. I don't think we saw him throw that slow slow curveball. Yeah, and I love that pitch for him. I mean, I thought it was such a great pitch for him because he did such a great job of keeping that in the back of a hitter's mind, knowing that at any point he might drop a 68-mile-an-hour curveball on you or you're going to get 95 running in on your hands. So a right-on-right, you know, right-handed hitter for him, that's a great combination. When you tell a hitter you don't have to worry about that anymore, that changes the way you look at things. So I actually, I know we dominated the regular season, had some good games in the postseason, but I didn't love that they completely eliminated um, his slow curveball. I just thought that was a, it was a bad idea because now as a hitter, that is gone. I mean, not that you're ever sitting on that pitch anyway, but now you don't have to worry about it at all. It is out of there. So now it's going to be something, most likely it's going to be hard. Like that slider is hard and it's really good, and his fastball is hard and it's really good, but the speed differential now has all of a sudden changed. So Listen, it's hard to argue with the results. They were good for most of what he has done in the Dodger uniform, but uh, I think that was a mistake as far as uh, not throwing out full curveball at least once in a while. In, I, I do want to bring this point up. In Houston earlier this year with the Rangers, he threw a dozen of those slow curves uh, in a very effective start. He made real good use of that slow curve. When I talked to Doug yeah. Brocale last week uh, about what he had seen from Darvish, and he said he, had, he was seeing the same Darvish. Uh, yeah. He mentioned that he thought that that he he thought Darvish would go to a lot of off speed stuff in in uh, this game against the Astros, and yep. obviously he never got there if he was going to go to that point. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think that it's always easy to kind of cite a narrative when a guy has an, a, a little bit of a hot streak. But I, I I've seen what I've talked to to, to Rangers people about, um, what I've tried to dig a little bit into the, the, the small amount of data that I can I can ex- access, there's not been a great difference. I, I think that there are some more pitches that are being labeled cutters, 
and, and a few uh-huh. less being labeled sliders. But I also talked to Brocale, and you know when he throws that hard, when he throws the hard slider, it very much acts like his cutter. So there yep. could be some confusion in the pitch identification on on things like Brooks Baseball and and Fangraphs as well. But yeah, uh, he's a plus he, or minus guy. Right? He's really good at adding and subtracting. Like some guys will throw a pitch and it's going to fall until a three mile an hour range where he's not that guy. Even with the slow curveball, right? It could be anywhere from 65 to 72 with the slider. He'll have a bigger range, uh, even his fastball. He's, he's confident. We, was, we said that about Greg Maddox, and obviously he didn't have the arm that you Darvish had, but he was a good plus and minus guy on the same pitch, which means he could make that pitch have a bigger range and make it look like something else. CJ, um, you know, to me, the the big difference in all this, if there was any difference, it was just a small sample size. You know, it's not like there weren't times when when uh, Darvish pitched for the Rangers that he just wasn't unbelievable. I mean, there, there were always periods like that. The problem, uh, I think, for a lot of Rangers fans, and, and you know, and for me somewhat too, is that there's just too many times, like the other night, um, where he just seems to struggle when he doesn't have a command of something. He is, he seems like to have he has difficulty fighting through those times what what do you see or what did you see the other night that was the, the difference for him yeah I think it was part of it I mean I think that he was just having a hard time getting comfortable I mean I'll never make you know want to make an excuse for this baseballs for the guys but you know we've heard enough of it that it, I wonder a little bit if he was having an issue at all it's always an adjustment for Japanese guys in general and you Darvish has made a really good adjustment when they come over and they're dealing with the American baseballs they're different and they always feel slick I remember the first time when I was playing over there and had a couple of big league baseballs with me and some Japanese pitchers are like, you got to be kidding me with this. Like this, I feel like I'm holding, you know, a wet bar of soap here. Like, how do you, how do you rip this thing now? If, and you are just done a good job. If that was the case, uh, I could imagine where it was even worse for him. But, no, but here's the other thing too. If the curveball is taken out of the, out of the repertoire, they're, if they just don't believe in it, think that he should not throw it. When you don't have your slider, if you're a true four pitch pitcher, if you have multiple off speed pitches, multiple breaking pitches. If one's not there, then you go to the other until you can find the other one. Well, if that wasn't an option for him, he was just forced to continue to try to throw that slider, and he just couldn't find it. I, when I played with Mike Messina um, with the Yankees, you know, he, uh, my locker was next to him, and he's a great guy to talk to about pitching. Obviously, a really smart guy, but also a guy uh, who had a great career. Uh, he better be getting your Hall of Fame vote. Evan, why he has not in there yet is absolutely amazing to me. But uh, with that being said, I always ask him, you know, I was always just absolutely impressed with his consistency throughout his career. He was incredibly consistent. I remember asking him one day, so what is it, man? Like, as a guy who was incredibly inconsistent, I was, you know, dying to know how do you get such consistency out of what you do? And he said, you know what? Always have a plan B. You got to be able to have a plan B. If plan A is not working, you need to be able to recognize that right away and go to your plan B and be able to execute your plan B. Well, in the case of that Darvish game three start, in, in terms of his breaking ball, plan B wasn't allowed. They didn't want it. They don't want the curveball. So he had to sit there and pound his head against the wall until plan A worked, and it didn't. And I think that was probably maybe one of the biggest issues we saw in that game. You know, Kevin, I just want to point out one thing. This has been my favorite stat regarding Darvish, um, and and I'm going to point it out again. And and I know that there have been Ranger fans who cited inconsistency. There have the, The other night was a rough start for him. But this is a guy, you give him three runs of support while the guy is in the game, and he's automatic. He's 19-1 since he came back from Tommy John surgery when he's gotten three runs of support. That includes the regular and postseason. Nobody in that period of time, not Kershaw, not Kluber, nobody has as, as good a winning percentage as Darvish does in those situations. Um, he didn't get that initial run support. 
Not that there was any, not that that was to be expected or anything like that. But I'm just saying that, yeah, this guy is, there's no perfect pitcher, but when this guy gets his three runs of support, he's about as consistent as you possibly can be. 19 and 1, a 245 ERA, a 186 opponent's batting average, and uh, a 092 whip. I, I, I think that's always going to be the the deal there with him is I do think this is a guy that has a little bit of performance anxiety when he feels like I've got to carry the burden, when I've got to carry all of the weight. And that may always be an issue with him, and that may be his flaw. But I, I, I do think and that's that what separates him from a Justin Verlander. Maybe. Maybe. And, I mean, look, Justin Verlander and Clayton Kershaw – um, those are two of the greatest pitchers of of this generation. And sure. But that's what Ranger fans expected him to be. Well, that's, that's true. What, that and, were the and expectations. Ranger fans may have, may have needed to manage their expectations a little bit, too. CJ. Uh, oh, real quick on that, though. So that's interesting. So, And I'm with you. I think it's, it's probably a fair assessment. It is always hard to make that assessment when you, if you don't talk to the guy enough, if you're not coaching him to get a feel and a real read on his personality. But you mentioned Kershaw. And, you know, Kershaw's got this really incredible postseason narrative that is surrounding him. And as far as how we look at him, he's 7-7 seven seven with a 4.5 ERA over the course of his career. And while he has been Hall of Fame level throughout his regular season career, and you could probably you could say the same thing about you, Darvish, obviously he doesn't have the length of career here in the States that Kershaw does, but, you know, not that you're going to be able to name it off the top of your head, but, you know, you have, a, you have to win a game seven. Where does Kershaw rank right now? Is he even in your top five of the best guys in the big leagues? Right. He might not be. No. You know what I mean? You want, you want, I want Max Scherzer first. I want Justin Berlander before him. I want Madison Bumgarner uh, before him. And you, you have to fight to probably keep him uh, in your top five. I don't think Clayton Kershaw gets nervous in those spots. I don't think he's scared. I don't think he pitches tentatively, uh, but it just hasn't happened for him. I mean, they gave him 12 runs the other night. He couldn't he couldn't win a game right. for him with 12 runs. Yeah. Um, this, it's pretty shocking. So there's a lot of good pitchers uh, that go through it. It doesn't make them anything less. Kershaw is still an ace. Darvish is still an ace for me. Um, but there are some guys. David Price is another one who has struggled mightily. Has never won a start in the postseason yet in his career. And, and some guys just have not been able to show up. I don't think it makes them, you know, guys that are scared or lesser pitchers. It just hasn't happened. Um, or they haven't been able to execute when they've needed to in the postseason. You brought up uh, the baseballs, and I wanted to ask you about that because Verlander did, and he, and of course we've heard this before, but he's adamant about it that the the baseballs are are smaller, harder, uh, the seams are flatter. Uh, first of all, I want to ask you: Have you felt of the, of this year's baseballs? Have you handled them any, and do you, do you see any difference? And do you think that well, Kevin, that, they're that talking about the special World Series baseballs, baseballs. too, well, now, true. as opposed yeah. to okay. just the regular season balls. But yes, there. And I'm I'm going to step in here. I know CJ will add to this, but the Ranger relievers themselves at the end of the season were talking about how this ball seems slicker, smaller, and that the seams were not raised, which is you can talk about CJ would impact the spin and the rotation of the ball. Oh, no doubt. I mean, pitchers will always complain about the ball to some degree, but there have been enough qualified voices that have said something in the regular season. Now, of course, we're hearing it even more in the postseason that do make you wonder. I'm not a big conspiracy theory guy, and it could be something that was accidental in production. I doubt that Major League Baseball was trying to come up with a way that we could see more offense. We had great ratings last year in the postseason. I don't think they're worried about ratings this year and trying to get offense up and, and people more encouraged, but I think without a doubt, um, there's a really good chance that there's something different here. Something happened in production uh, down in Costa Rica with those baseballs at the Rawlings factory that have made them uh, different. And so it's funny because you'll hear some guys, I've seen some tweets from, from pitchers that are not in the postseason, they're saying, oh, well, they're saying the World Series baseballs 
or bad. I can't imagine how bad they were compared to how bad they were during the regular season. We hit 6,000 home runs this year in Major League Baseball. That is a new number. We've never hit over 6,000 before. Now, we know guys swing harder. We know they're stronger. We know there's a lot harder velocities and, and everything else that's going on in the game, but there's probably uh, something worth taking a closer look at. We had I do a radio show in the morning on XM, and I alternate with Eduardo Perez, who was on with us today actually as a guest because he does his ESPN work, and he had said that he talked to the kids in Houston that rub up the baseball, and, they, and those, those kids have been doing it all year long, and they said, without a doubt, these baseballs feel different. Now, they use a different stamp. It's gold instead of blue. There's probably more ink on those as well, but they were saying they're rubbing them up, and there's something different about this leather when they're warming these baseballs up, and pitchers are so fickle. It doesn't take much at all. I mean, how many times do you see even in the regular season, you get a ball, umpire gives you a ball, it doesn't feel right. Not as bad as tennis, but kind of the same, right? And you throw it out and you ask for another one. It doesn't take much at all. And these guys, when you're out there and you're in the middle of your career, you know the difference right away. If something doesn't feel right with the baseball, you don't want to throw it. Whether it feels a little bit big or feels a little bit small, um, you'll notice it right away, even though that baseball, um, this dimensions, uh, nine inches and anywhere between five and five and quarter ounces, doesn't seem like you'd be able to tell the difference a half a centimeter, and these guys know. Um, and so I, I don't doubt that there's something that they're feeling different uh, that has been a problem. CJ, before we let you go, I want to change speed just a little bit here. Um, we talked about Darvish, and we, we, we've talked about uh, the World Series a great deal. Uh, I want to get into what's going to take place in the next three days when this World Series ends and the offseason officially begins. The Rangers are looking at, at, at needing to find three starting pitchers. They're also looking at very possibly having the defending world champion in their division. Um, my perspective is that this team needs to look at the idea of incremental improvement over the course of the winter that may put them in, in contention for a wild card spot, but it's certainly not going to make them uh, a favorite in the American League West next year. Do you feel like this team is capable of turning itself into a playoff contender this winter? I think so. I think based on what we saw last year and how they were able to even make it close and stay in the wild card hunt as long as they did. That was a great job, I think, by the guys, by Jeff Bannister, uh, by the coaching staff, and, and even the front office to bring some, some small pieces in to try to make it happen, even though they subtracted uh, at the deadline with Hugh Darvish, uh, with Jeremy Jefferson, with Jonathan Lucroyal being uh, traded away. And so, yes, of course. I mean, I'll always remain, you know, pretty optimistic anyway, just from watching this organization over the years from afar. I can't imagine they're never going to try to contend. Now, the reality is, how do you do it? Uh, a bump up in the bullpen. Uh, so maybe you can drop some other guys down. As good as Alex Claudio was, and he was unbelievable this season, I think you'd much rather be able to use him in a traditional setup, let lefty specialist kind of role. And, and if you can find a real, you know, not that he's not a real closer, but you know what I mean, a legit guy sure. who's done it that you feel comfortable regardless of matchups, uh, figuring out, adding what you're going to do in the starting rotation. It's going to be tough to make big adjustments, I think, in with the offense. You're not going to make the dramatic change the way that the Astros did over the couple of years, the way the Cubs did over a couple of years, where they just cut down their strikeouts tremendously without giving up power. Right? The Astros were second in home runs, but they also had the lowest strikeout rate. That's something I don't think that the Rangers are going to be able to get to very quickly. Uh, but, you know, if they like uh, Lorenzo Cain, uh, somebody like that potential in the outfield, that you know, there could be a bat like that that they could add that'll help a little bit. Um, but they're not going to change that. But absolutely, I mean, they'll be able to contend. You just never know. I mean, listen, coming into the season next year, regardless of whether or not the Astros win this World Series, they're going to be favorites in the division. Their team is in a really good spot, and they're built for a nice run. But you never know what's going to happen. All it takes is you know a major injury, especially one in the rotation. They obviously have bullpen issues. They're going to have to address. 
um, as well. They found out in the postseason that they can't trust their closer. Um, they're going to ask him to come back and close next year. That's asking a lot after there was times that you refused to use him uh, in big spots. And so they'll have their questions. They'll be favorites without a doubt, but never assume that they're just going to come out um, and get it done and dominate once again. You just you just never know. So uh, the Rangers will absolutely um, have a chance, and I'm looking forward to seeing what they're going to do this winter. What do you think is the easiest thing for this team to fix? Uh, that's a good question. The easiest probably would be the bullpen. I mean, I haven't dug in a ton yet as far as what's out there from a free agent standpoint, but you know, if you wanted to go out and add a Greg Holland type, um, that's certainly a quick, easy fix. And then one other arm, and then based on what you have already, I think that really solidifies uh, your bullpen. That, that would be a really nice one. That's, that's probably the easiest as far as adding a couple of pieces without having to make a monster splash um, mm-hmm. in the free agent market. That, that, that's probably the way that that gets done. You know, a fully healthy lineup right now, um, there's no room in the infield. Maybe you want to add an outfielder. Um, but there's not a ton I don't think they're going to do necessarily offensively, assuming Joey Gallo is going to play first base next year. Yeah. Uh, maybe you try to figure out a DH spot. But I would say the bullpen should be. It's not easy to fix your bullpen. Certainly everybody understands the value of having a deep bullpen now until the competition is, is pretty heavy among you know, good arms. But that's, I, would, I would feel like that probably is the quickest and easiest one to address. You've got a more intimate uh, knowledge of Japanese baseball than most of the guests that we'll have on. Having played there, um, you uh, do a. Do you think that it's that Otani can accomplish both pitching and some regular at bats? And b. How would you go about doing that if you're the Rangers? Yeah, I really hate this for him to be honest with you, um, just because. The idea of doing both is really asking a lot. Um, we haven't seen it. Um, if you make a, I mean, obviously it's not a big investment to start off, right? That's the other thing with him is the fact that he's not uh, he's not a guy that's going to command nine figures, at least not yet. Um, right. So he's going to have a lot of options. So, but you're still making an investment, and you're making an investment in a big arm that you expect to be in your rotation. The idea of having any of your starting pitchers, regardless of their your one or your five, also taking regular at bats. I mean, all it takes is. You know, one wild pitch, one foul ball off your ankle, and now you got a major rotation issue. Um, I hate the idea of it. I know he's pretty special. I know he's got double talent. Um, but trying to utilize that both ways, is, to me, seems really dice. I mean, if he, if he demands it and says, this is the only way I'm coming, and, and you still feel okay because the investment will not be as big as it could have been if he waits two years, um, I guess you grant him his wish and you keep your fingers crossed. But I'd be really worried about it. I'd probably let him DH two times a week. Yeah, but that is that is the thing, Kevin. That you know, CJ explains it this way: if if he comes, if he does do something to his hamstring or his calf like he did in Japan this year, now you've lost two positions. Now that's you that's know, why I just don't. It, I think it's a the, real risk. The only reason that anybody's saying that, oh yeah, we're all for this, is that they they want him to come there. You know, I think yeah. once you get the right. that becomes a completely different animal once he's you, on site. Uh, is that yeah? There's a thousand things. You know, he saw what what happened to Carlos Gomez. This year, when he was he was running to, running home, and he stepped over a bat and and uh, hurt himself, and right. he was out. There are just all kinds of things that can go wrong when you're out there when you're asking the guy to do more things than what the, the look, normal uh, job requirement uh, calls for. Look look at it this way: it's like when you recruit a high school football basketball player, and everybody says, "Yeah, come to our school, right. come to the University of Texas, come to Texas A and M. You can do both." Nobody does both when no. they get there because no. it's just too much. Yeah. CJ, if a guy if a guy's a starting pitcher and you said you might be willing to let him DH twice a week if he insisted on it, when would he do that? Does he do that the day after he pitches, or is that too much of a recovery day? 
I would I would do it probably day two and three, like the way that we break it down. Day one would be the day after. I'd let him hit days two and three, and then so not he let would him hit, hit on the day he throws his bullpen too. One and four, and maybe you don't have a DH today. He's pitching, right? You know I mean, I don't know. That's that's that's, that's certainly an option. Really uh, you could do it that way if you wanted to as well to give him those couple. But he hits left-handed, doesn't he? Uh, I believe he does. I don't have I don't have my computer in front. Of I, I think that's I'm correct. He, so he throws right-handed and hits left-handed. So that means yes, that that's correct. Throwing arm is exposed too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's another issue. Like if, if we have it right, and forgive me if I'm wrong, but I believe that's the case, then you're going to have a throwing arm that is also exposed. Like if he takes one off the shoulder, that's a throwing arm, not right. his glove arm, which is, you know, that's, that also could be an issue if that's right. All right, CJ, we didn't mean to keep you as long as we, we did, but um, uh, we kept you very long, and you were very entertaining. Another failed promise from Evan Grant. I mean, I'll just keep making, <laughs> writing it down. That's all right. My wife's, my wife's got a long, long list yeah. of those. For sure. Yeah, I'm catching up for sure. All right. Well, we will. Um, we'll see you down the road somewhere. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure. Good to talk with you guys. All right. So, thanks, care, CJ. CJ. Thanks, CJ. You know, I want to go back to what he was talking about with bullpens, and and I know you have written about this extensively and talked about how it they need to fix the rotation, and obviously they need to fix the rotation. There's no question about that. But to me, if you're talking about fixing something, I think it's easier for them to fix the bullpen than it is to fix the rotation. And to, to, what I mean by that is to, to raise it to a, a level where it's pretty good. Would you rather have a so-so bullpen, which is what they had in, in the best sense, that's what they had this year, because it got better at the end of the year. And the first of the year was a disaster. Or would you rather have a so-so Listen, Kevin, I, rotation? I, I think that as they approach the market, they will uh, – they've got multiple ways that they could go about this. Um, I, I think no matter what they do, uh, short of getting Otani and going out and signing a big-time free agent, they're going to have no better than a so-so rotation. Right. Uh, but I also do think if you look at the bullpen arms that they've got there, they certainly have the ability to have a decent bullpen with adding only one, maybe two bodies. Um, you're going to be very subpar in the rotation if you don't go out and add multiple bodies. Well, they, no, there's no question. And about if you that. don't add multiple bodies in the in the rotation, and you put all that stress on the bullpen early, it doesn't matter how good they are; they're going to be burnt out and injured by the All Star break, and then you're going to have a complete disaster. By the way, I just want to break in. I just consulted with my friend, Mister Google, and Otani throws right and bats left. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, he so, was right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but to that point, to to me, look. When you're going to, there's no question they need to add outside arms. I'm not saying they can they can build this rotation from within. What I'm saying is that you're going to end up with guys like maybe a Miles Mikolas if he comes back from Japan and pitches for the rain. That's the kind of arms you're going to get. Yeah, right. it, you know. So, but I think there's a possibility you could get. I think this team needs a veteran closer, and I think they need to go out and get one. They need. I think they need a veteran presence in the bullpen. It could be a closer. It could be a setup guy, but they need a veteran guy out there who can who can build. Now here's here's the question, the 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 rotation options aren't great out there. You've right. got Otani, you've got Darvish, you've got Arietta, you've got Alex Cobb. Mm-hmm. Those are probably your top four, and that goes from really great value, potentially great value in Otani, to really high priced in Darvish, to maybe overpriced in in Cobb. Um, on the bullpen, on the veteran closer aspect, you're looking at Greg Holland or Wade Davis, and I mean that that's it. 
Uh, so there's there's going to be a, a lot of competition for those two guys. There's not going to there's going to be a lot of money involved in those two guys, and if you can't get to the closer, um, it's going to be kind of a wasted expense. Well, now I, I get that, but here's the thing I think about: what's going to ha- end up happening in baseball is a little bit of this. What's happening in the postseason is start bleeding over into the regular season, and what is going to end up happening is that over the course of a season, you're just going to be churning your middle relief all year long. Which is why you well, need to have even more bodies, especially in the rotation absolutely. as well. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I've i thought about this. Uh, my way of, of developing a six-man rotation, which I think is is, is a viable thing, would be basically, and, and I know this is gets, takes some player buy-in, but come May, come six weeks into the season, you're going to give each of your starters a two-week stint on the deal just to over-fatigue, Okay. You're going to take two weeks off here. You're not going to throw baseball. You're going to take two weeks off. And you've got to have guys to step into the rotation to do that. That's where the sixth guy comes in. Um, if you're going to do that with the bullpen, if you're going to start throwing guys two two innings at a time, uh, multiple times a week, uh, or or have them start one inning and, and, and finish another, um, <clears throat> you're going to also need multiple bullpen bodies and in that regard, you probably need optionable arms. Yes. I do think the Rangers have some optionable arms with some potential in guys like Ricky Rodriguez, Nick Gardewine, guys that we saw this year. Um, I, I think Reed Garrett will be on that on, on that radar next year. Uh, it's possible that uh, Connor Sadzik will be on the radar as far as that goes next year. But they're still unproven too, and and they've got something to go. But I will, I think we've said this on the Rangers podcast before. I think we'll, we'll we'll leave it with this. You know, one I was once told that the best way to fix a bullpen that was a disaster in year one is to bring them all, all back, back if in year two because they're such fickle organisms, and one one issue leads to a domino effect. One way or another, I'm losing my. Voice. Oh my gosh! <laughs> right in he's front emotional. of us. I think it's time to to wrap up the podcast. It's I think pollen. Just emotional. Is what it's it is. pollen. Oh my gosh! Bullpens always make Evan weep. <clears throat> this was a great. This was a great morning of podcasts. Paul Feinbaum, Barry, great job getting him. I know you were swamped yesterday with with some other stories. Thanks for landing Paul Feinbaum, who talked with us about college football. Uh, I got I got David Moore. David that Moore, was one phone call on on Cowboys. It's a text. A text. I tried to give you some. You know, Evan, I took your direction. You you wake up in the morning. It was better that you called me or you texted at ten in the morning than at ten at night. The way you did the yeah the, the, last the week before he texted like yeah like at six six thirty seven o'clock. Yeah, can you get Tony Romo? <laughs> can you get Tony Romo? <laughs> Kevin, uh, David Moore had some great stuff on Zeke Elliott, and we talked a little bit about also how the NFC East will play out now. Um, great World Series and Rangers discussion with C.J. Nitkowski. Uh, so uh, we'll have a lot in the top next week, but uh, we'll be here for you, and thanks for joining us on Ballsy. Say goodbye, guys. Bye. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to the Rangers Ballsy Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe via iTunes. You'll get new episodes every week. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, sports fans, see ya.